I'm gonna be talking a whole lot, so I don't wanna y'all introduce this Nammer Jammer. Becca, do you wanna do it? This Is this your first time? I would, except I don't know what we're reading or anything, so I don't think I should do it. <laughs> well, say, say, oh, welcome to the, you know, this podcast and say what it is and say who we are and say what we do on the podcast. Okay, I'll do my best. Fake it till you make it, Becca. Just say something and then we'll, we'll just go along with whatever you think we're doing. <laughs> okay, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. And the name of the podcast is Fire the Cannon with... Oh, she got it. Um, one... N. Two I mean, ends. technically two ends, but one end yeah. by itself, and then a little bit later, there's another. Then an O. Yeah. yeah. Nailed it. Nailed the intro. And I'm Becca. The other hosts are Jackie and Rachel, and we're going to talk about a book today. And no, no, no. No. <laughs> we normally talk about books, but today we're going to do a biography, an author bio, which the audience seems to love, or maybe people who aren't our usual audience just tune in for these, but they're surprisingly popular. I don't think it's surprising. I love doing these. <laughs> you, I mean, you love doing them. <laughs> I love doing them, but honestly, if if I'm thinking of like episodes I would listen to of a podcast, I would like these better just because I'm, uh, I'm essentially an old person and I just like history. Yeah, so. that's the opposite of me. The problem is these authors only have one life to live. Yeah, but anyway, the author we're talking about is one of Jackie's big time faves. Kurt Vonnegut, V-Dog himself. Kurt Vonnegut. Um, Rachel, I just have a quick question. Are you being paid to like slowly drop uh, soap opera references in this episode or was that just a coincidence? What did I say? V-Dog? Isn't one life to live? Oh. <laughs> Isn't it? Wait, one one life at a time? I don't know. I'm not familiar. One life at a time. <laughs> I thought it was I've got one life to live. I've got no, that's a different song. One I will survive. Yeah, a... I was thinking that I'll survive. <laughs> that's not the... Imagine if there's a soap opera and that was the title. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Several lines from I Will Survive. <laughs> First, I was afraid I isn't was it, petrified. Wait, isn't it one day at a time, Jackie? One day at a time? I don't know. Let's look at... Oh, God, we're already off freaking topic. <laughs> that's uh, perfect. One life to live. One Life to Live was a TV series from 1960. Yeah, it was a soap opera. Okay, I was not around at that time. <laughs> Rachel, there were 45 seasons. It ended in 2012. Okay, yeah. we definitely overlapped, but I'm not familiar. Sorry. So we're doing an author bio. I actually suggested to Rachel that we just do a separate podcast that's just author bios, um, and she shut that down. So Sorry. Instead... <laughs> I just don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> Sue me. <laughs> don't even think about it. <laughs> I wouldn't I would never think about it. Um I have thought about it, but I won't anymore. So we're gonna be talking about Kurt Vonnegut. I have um I've forgotten. I think this happens a lot. Like he was definitely one of my big time favorites in high school. Um and I continued reading him into college and I have not yet read all of his books. Like I hope to do that one day, but to to be honest, not all of them are really worth reading. However, I thought you were gonna say I've forgotten more about Kurt Vonnegut than you two will ever know. <laughs> oh no! But then you just said something else. That was a fun <laughs> soap too, if you remember that. One. What? <laughs> I've forgotten more about Kurt Vonnegut than you will <laughs> ever know. Yeah, it's obscure, but if you're up at one in the morning, you can catch it sometimes. Wait, what did he write? Because I have never heard of this man before. Slaughterhouse Five, which is what we're gonna be reading. Okay, I've heard of that. Yeah, that's his his big masterpiece. Small. It's not that long to be honest no none of his well yeah most of his books aren't that long um my big time favorite is the sirens of titan mm -hmm. which was pretty uh weird it, it was pretty successful oh. yeah it definitely weird, weird. it's definitely sci-fi <laughs> so, and i still have my original copy of sirens of titan that i read i don't think it's like an original copy but it is really old it's definitely your from, original copy 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely from at least the 80s, if not the 70s, but um, it's falling apart. A lot of the pages were like getting loose, so I taped it back together. I had to tape the cover back on, but it's important to me because Stephen drew a little uh, portrait, a little pastel portrait in side of one of the covers so i remember that yeah i always say, maybe i'll post a picture of it but i i always say if i was gonna save one thing before i run out of the house after saving the cats and grover and joshua in that order i don't think you'll um, have time <laughs> becca <laughs> how fast is this fire moving? joshua's <laughs> pretty light i think she could get him out you fast. might not get to josh in time <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> um but then i'm saving my copy of the sirens of titan with that little artwork yeah in. if it's a really slow fire you might get to the sirens of titan <laughs> <laughs> and then i'll probably go, i'll go get my laptop i'll get you hopefully know, joshua will be helping you with the animals and he's not just like eh. yeah unless i've knocked him out before starting the fire <laughs> like hopefully you don't yeah. also have to carry him out <laughs> i think you'll have time yeah. just kidding i i don't think i would save grover second i think i would just open the door and rush them all out at one time like herd them out herd some cats oh wait so who's her fir- her favorite cat then oh i don't know i can't answer that she well she probably saved the blind cat first well she's not blind she's one eye the works. one who like can't see very well She's the stupidest for sure. Yeah, so you'd probably save her first. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe I should save my foster cat first because I don't want to be on the hook for, you know, the liability of losing a foster cat in a fire. I think that's fine. Like, No, it's not. No, I don't think it's fine, but I'm saying I don't think they're going to get really angry if there's a surprising fire. They're going to be like, you want to pay us back for that sickly cat that was costing <laughs> us a ton of money. <laughs> yeah, they'd probably be like, to be honest, we should pay you now. <laughs> Oh, no. So here's the thing, though. Uh, what if I would be worried I would run out and then maybe Loling would already be out and then I would die in the fire looking for <laughs> looking her and she was her. outside the whole time? <laughs> That's the thing. I don't have to herd the cats outside. They'll escape the instant they get a chance. I just open all the windows. They'll be, they'll be fine. <laughs> they'll be fine. Yeah. Well, so I do have a funny story from today. Should I tell that now or should I get right into the bio? Tell, tell the story. Tell the story. They should get to know you before they get to know him. That's the rule. Yeah, hey guys, let's get to know each other a little bit. Um, Because I know you all really well. This Mm -hmm. is kind of a follow-up story from another story I've told. So I think I've I've definitely talked before about this restaurant that's near my house. And because it's one of only two restaurants that I can easily walk to, I go to it a lot. And it's got brunch. This is the restaurant I talked about where I took a new friend and they fed us these weird oyster po'boys that were covered <laughs> in like pickled ginger because their refrigerator You were like, broke. I come here all the time and I've never seen this before. Yeah, and so that was honestly the, I think the first time where things started getting weird. Then I went to them another time and um, I don't remember if I told this one on the pod, but it's a Creole restaurant, like New Orleans food. So I asked for hot sauce as one does and they brought it to me in a little shot glass. <laughs> instead of like a bottle and then after I had like used a lot of it the table next to us asked their waiter for hot sauce and instead of getting them a separate thing of hot sauce he just reached over to our table and handed them my thing whoa <laughs> your partially used hot sauce shot class. yeah which is weird because this was like very early like things had just started opening back up after covid so this was weird so the people next to us at the table like we all looked at each other they probably didn't want that yeah we all made eye contact and they were like uh that's weird and i was like yeah and they were like well are you guys sick or anything and i was like no and they were like oh 
okay. So they just used it, but that was so weird. So anyway, this is the same place. <laughs> and um, so I met two friends there again today for brunch. And as I do, I asked for hot sauce. Oh gosh, Jackie. And the waiter said, we don't have any hot sauce uh, due to a kitchen accident. And I laughed because that has to be a joke, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's exactly what I would say if I were, like, lightheartedly messing with a table to say, like, yeah. oh, no, there was some big accident and we don't have any more. But he was serious. He said someone dropped the bottle. They have what? one Last singular night. bottle of hot sauce in a Creole <laughs> restaurant for everyone to use. I guess. I don't know. Maybe it was a really big bottle someone that they dropped were refilling. the other. bottle. He said, not even 10 minutes ago, like, I would understand if it was like, oh, we we ruined all our hot sauce, like, right before you got here. He was like, no, this happened yesterday, and we just haven't gotten any more in yet. Drive to the store and get – it's not like this is a Swedish restaurant, you know? Like, I feel like a Cajun, like, a Creole restaurant should have hot sauce. But you're in Ohio, right? I'm in Ohio, but, like, that's egregious even for Ohio. Yeah. This was Emeril Lagasse's restaurant. Whoa. Emeril? Was. He doesn't own it anymore. Oh, not anymore. It was. Yeah, Emra would never stand for having the one bottle. Yeah, I was going to say, you should, like, tweet at him. <laughs> but I guess. So, because it's so close to the house, I actually texted Joshua, and I was like, I need you to bring me a bottle of hot sauce to this restaurant, because they lost all their hot sauce in a kitchen accident. <laughs> and then I sent him a third text that said, I'm not joking, and he didn't respond. Oh, <laughs> oh no. So he never brought he you never brought me sauce. the hot sauce. What's the point of him being back from Singapore if he's not going to run hot sauce errands? Yeah, if he's not going to bring me a single bottle of hot sauce to a restaurant at which I'm dining without him. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's bizarre. What a weird place. That makes me want to go. We need a collection of restaurants you've been to where you've been treated weirdly or just bizarre things have occurred. (laughs) I know. It's like they've never treated me weird there. They've just been weird. So yeah, we should definitely go. We'll go for brunch sometime. Anybody else have any little stories before you want to jump in? Is there anything else? Oh yeah, Becca... Becca said something so Becca's funny. Like, There's a story. Yeah. yeah. So um, I was home, but we were, it was like the whole family was together and we were going to have this big brunch and we had friends over. And Becca goes, Guys, I have an announcement to make. Darius and I are getting. Oh, yeah. And then wasn't it like that. another TV? <laughs> no, we, we got a pullout couch. <laughs> oh, yeah. Darius another and I are getting. Couch. A pull-out couch. And everybody in the kitchen was like, we literally thought you were going to say you guys are getting married. <laughs> yeah, we're getting engaged. Or even I, the way I thought the story was going to yeah. go is like, oh, everybody thought she was going to say she's getting engaged. But really, they just said we're getting another cat or we're getting a dog. She didn't even say that. <laughs> yeah. We're getting <laughs> another pull-out couch. <laughs> a pull-out couch. No, we didn't have a pull-out oh, couch before. Sorry. We just had a regular yeah, oh, But okay. So everybody was laughing, and Becca's like, what? And we're like, you just said you had a big announcement and that you and Darius are getting. Like, what do you think is going to come after that in most people's minds? Wow. I didn't think about that. I do think it's a big announcement, though. <laughs> yeah, I think I don't remember if you said I have a big announcement or like I have something important to say. It was something along those lines. <laughs> she said, everybody sit down and <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I got a thing I got to say to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, having been in your condo, Becca, you have more couches than almost any. No, yeah. yeah like <laughs> per square foot. Yeah. So many couches. <laughs> per capita. <laughs> your couches upstairs, couches downstairs. It's like a third couch, well, honestly. We're going to get rid of the downstairs But you're one. replacing it with another couch. No, we're not going to cram it in. We're... <laughs> So, because this one pulls out into a bed. So now yeah, we can have. And, and more one of their couches over. is huge. It's like a truly but enormous couch. Like, 
I have a much bigger house than Becca, and I feel like it would be too big in my house. But Becca's living, her living room, I would say, is 70% couch. it's a great couch. It's very soft. I think you and me and Theo all, because we were watching TV, I think all three of us could have, like, laid down end to end. And the dog. Yeah. Yeah, and my dog. I like to be comfortable, and you need a couch to be comfortable. You need a couch in every room. Yeah, you definitely do. (laughs) But do you need five couches? (laughs) I like to have a couch everywhere I go. Anyway. Okay, well... (laughs) Shall we go ahead? Because um, this is exciting because Becca doesn't know anything about this guy. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> Nothing at all. But you have heard of Slaughterhouse-Five. You just don't know anything yeah, about it. Yeah, I've heard it. of it. I don't know anything about it. I bet it was on the list of optional like summer reads in your English class. Oh, we didn't have that. We had to read a particular book. He was definitely not assigned reading for me ever. Um, in fact, a lot of different school districts have banned his books and specifically <sighs> Slaughterhouse-Five. You got to ban the books, Jackie, if you want to brainwash the youth. <laughs> you got to ban the books. <laughs> That's what you do. You got to ban the books. Hot take from Becca. (laughs) That's exactly why we have you on here, Becca. Continue to say things like that, please. (laughs) You got to ban the books. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, Slaughterhouse-Five, the the book we're going to obviously talk about in our one of our book series uh, set of episodes. But um, that is the reason that I know Rachel. That's the reason that I know Theo. That's the reason this podcast exists, actually. Because I got into governor school because of an essay I read on Slaughterhouse-Five. And none of this would have happened without him. Nice. Well, but you might have been able to get in if you'd written, like, a different essay. A different you know? essay. I mean, I could have, but there's there's really no way to know. Because we only have one timeline and we can't go back and forth We only on have it. one life to live. <laughs> we only have one life to live. <laughs> or um, one life my, at a time. my other favorite soap opera, you only get to live one life at a time. Yeah. <laughs> Becca, by the way, maybe you've been swirling around a lot. Oh, yeah. Jackie, should she try not to do that? Um, <laughs> or is it fine? You know, compared to things our other... Theo, last time, Theo, if you're listening to this, uh, you were clicking your pen constantly oh, yeah. while speaking oh, and Theo. while not speaking. And I would find those little, little, little teeny audio spikes and be like, click, click. The inhumanity. I've never heard Becca swiveling. He's trying to make it so that we won't have him back on the podcast. Is it working? <laughs> Is he he banned yet? Like the books? No. No. We are actually having him audience. If you're a Theo fan, like the patron who isn't a patron anymore and cited his reason as that Theo's not on anymore. Theo is coming back for, he's going to do one regular episode, which is, um, we were like, what's the oldest book in the world? And it's called like The Wisdom of Tahotep. And it's some advice from an Egyptian vizier from, I think, 2500 BC. So... Theo's Theo's going to come on for that. We have a lot of months (laughs) left in our lives and we plan to do this podcast for until we don't feel like doing it anymore. So I'm sure Theo will be on various episodes of different sorts, but just not very often. I have a question. What is a vizier? Because I remember Jafar from Aladdin was a vizier. Like the head advisor. A vizier is like an evil He's the guy guy. that wants to kill you and marry your daughter. (laughs) Every king has one. keep things spicy you gotta have an evil vizier you're like i know jafar has a job but i can't tell what it's supposed to be yeah he's just there yeah (laughs) he just goes around scheming i want that job that's the job i want Uh, becca do you know how much energy that takes to scheme he was scheming like 24 sev he did not relax very much. But if you're already scheming anyway, it'd be nice to get paid to scheme. You <laughs> True. Know? Are you saying that you're a schemer? 
You scheme? Do you Are scheme? Are you scheming right? Have you yeah. schemed? I could do it if I was being compensated. Oh, well, okay. good thing no one's going to compensate you for that. I yeah, guess. that's Maybe true. someday we will if we get enough Patreon money. Jafar did not strike me as a particularly mentally well man. <laughs> <laughs> he needed some more You know sleep. who I would hate to see, like, team up is Jafar and Frollo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. They're so pervy. Ooh, I hate him. Aren't they the perviest villains? Aren't they both definitely, like, just gay analogs? But they're definitely horned up for a woman. Yeah, they are. It's gross of Like, them. overtly. But, I, but is... Mm, they they may be queer-coded, but they are so, like, they're way too turned on and it's gross yeah. for a woman specifically. Frollo even has a creepy song about it. He has a whole... Yeah, he has a whole song about his lust. And Jafar puts her in, like, a sexy outfit and puts chains on her and it's, like, come on. That's creepy. Yeah, so did Jabba the Hutt. But did Jabba the Hutt have a sexuality? I mean, he didn't do that to Jasmine. He did that to Princess Leia. You know, actually, did you know that the Hutts are they swap they just change their genders around and they have their babies with themselves i had no idea but that makes sense what are you talking about you know job of the hut he's a hut <laughs> <laughs> you know pizza the do hut. you know job of the hut rebecca <laughs> yeah i guess but what okay. do you mean the huts how many huts did are- you just miss that we transitioned to job of the hut at some point you thought we were talking about jafar the whole time you know jafar he just changes his gender and he has babies with himself i think if she hadn't said the huts that i might have gotten it. i don't think did you okay so you've heard the name job of the hut and you never were like the hut i guess there are things called huts and he's one of them is that is that that's what his species. This, He's a hut. The species are called the huts? How is that No, they're that not spelled? called the like, hut. hut? They, God, Becca, he, I love you. Huts. I'm so glad that you're on this podcast. I'm so glad. He is one of the multiple huts. Like, hut. So, like, <laughs> H-U-T-T. But it seems like a species. That's like if you were Becca the human. Okay. Grover the dog. He's one of the dogs. So those, he's the Jabba the giant slug thing. And those giant slug things are called huts. Are hermaphroditic, I guess. They, yeah, I guess they're hermaphroditic and they're like self-fertilizing or something. So basically, a lot of times huts, after they have a baby, they will just call themselves female and be the mom. But some huts are like, no, I'm still going to be a man. That's, that's the deal with hut sexuality and gender. I like how you said a lot of times, like, we know a lot about hut reproduction. I mean, you know, Jabba the Hut has a son. How do you know that? <laughs> how do you know that? Why do you know that? <laughs> Wait, how, how and why are different questions with different answers? I want to know both of the answers. <laughs> I did. I did know that Jabba the Hutt has a son. Isn't his name a Rod? Rod of the Hutt, probably. People sometimes call him Jabba Junior. Okay, how I know is because someone tried to say something, something transphobic, basically about Star Wars, and someone was like, "Listen to what's the deal with huts." Oh, okay. <laughs> Listen to what's the deal with huts. What if that was our next podcast? <laughs> and it was like us being racist about different Star Wars species. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> or like doing like 90s style stand up. <laughs> that would be better, the stand up. Yeah. But anyway, and I did know, like, I knew about Jabba's child already from, I don't know, I think he's been in a lot of things. He's actually kind of cute, the child. What things has he been into? He gets into a lot of things. I opened up my, a shoebox in my closet. The other day, there's little Jabba Jr. <laughs> oh, Jabba Jr. Get out of here. Guys, so tired of you popping up everywhere. I think his son m- 
might have been in the Clone Wars. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. I couldn't watch the Clone Wars because I didn't like the animation style. That must be why I'm behind. Becca's really picky about animation style. You've got so many weird preferences in general. <laughs> like, oh, I couldn't watch it because Jabba Jr. was in uh, the Taisho era Japan and I don't watch yeah, it. I don't like the Taisho era. Okay, <laughs> so Kurt Vonnegut, um, he was born in Indianapolis, lifelong Midwesterner. He was not born in... Oh, God, was he born in the Taisho <gasps> era? 1922? Wait... Wait, 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 wait. Uh-oh. I'm Googling it. I'm Googling it. Taisho era ending. It's close. <gasps> he was born in the Taisho era. He was I, born in the Taisho It ended in 1926. Wait, yeah. Oh my God. Oh, I wish you'd said Kurt Vonnegut was born in Taisho era Indianapolis. Taisho era Indianapolis. <laughs> so I have organized his life into like a chronological uh, biography that, you know, we'll go through that. A series of eras, if you will. Yeah, like the four years of his life that was the Taisho era <laughs> followed by whatever came after that. But then I also have like a separate little topic where I'll talk about his like personality and his beliefs <laughs> and things because – I think it's hard to work that into a chronological outline. And then the other section I'll do towards the end is like misconceptions Um, because I had a feeling Rachel was going to come in swinging and I want to come in swinging first. You know, the good thing about Becca is she has no conceptions about Kurt whatsoever. It's true. (laughs) I don't have any conceptions. So if you give me the misconceptions, now I'm going to conceive them. And before I wouldn't have. Yeah. So be careful. That's a lot of responsibility. Yes. Alrighty, 1922, Indianapolis. He kind of came from like a high society family originally, which um, this hmm. this matters. Gosh, I can't preface everything I say in this bio with this matters, but just trust me, it does. Let's just assume everything you say matters, unless you say otherwise. All this matters, more or less. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> um, his mom was from a wealthy brewery family, and then his dad was an architect, and he actually designed some of the famous buildings in Indianapolis. <laughs> Those famous Indianapolis buildings. Yeah, I've never heard of them. <laughs> Some of the buildings in Indianapolis that are famous for Indianapolis were designed by the Vonnegut architecture firm. Well, um, I couldn't tell you what they are. Big fish, small pond. I mean, okay. Indianapolis <laughs> was important in the 20s. I don't know. Because of what? Meatpacking or something? Uh, architecture. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, they were his parents were the children of German immigrants, so they were first gen. Um, and they because it was after World War One, there was all this like anti-German sentiment. So they didn't teach their kids German, and they didn't teach them any of like the customs or anything, even though they spoke it fluently. So um, young young little Kurt felt kind of rootless as a result of this. But overall, childhood was okay until the end of the 1920s. There's a double whammy. Can you guess what the two things are? Is it the Great Depression? Yeah, and the other one is prohibition. Oh, so crap. his mom's brewery wealth went away. Oh, that's terrible yeah. for them. Yeah. And then also because no one was building anything, no one was using any architecture firms for anything to build all those famous famous buildings. So pretty much they went downhill and his mom really went downhill and became like very depressed and bitter and mean. Oh no. Uh, she had like writing aspirations herself. Yeah, she tried to like sell short stories to magazines and stuff and was never successful. Kind of getting, like, a little bit of, like, Zelda Fitzgerald vibes there. Zelda was a little more successful, though, right? Yeah, she was. So, anyway, Kurt finds that he has, like, an aptitude aptitude for writing. He goes to Cornell for college, and he wanted to be an architect originally, like his dad. But his dad was like, study something useful, Um, which is crazy. (laughs) So he did literature. (laughs) 
Right. So Well, so he studied biochem. Oh, there we go. But he wasn't good at it, and he didn't like it. I feel like this happens all the time with writers. Like, Kafka did that. Voltaire did that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I need to be a writer now, because I majored in biochem. <laughs> so now, get ready, world. I mean, you clearly did good at it, because you're at a good dentistry school. Now. Yeah. So no, he wasn't good at it and he didn't like it. And also <laughs> he reminded me of like partially Voltaire and partially Candide himself. Oh gosh. Just with the things that happened to him in his life. So he got put on academic probation at Cornell. Um, and this was also because he wrote a satirical article for the school newspaper <laughs> and it got him in trouble. What was it about? I don't I don't know what it was about. Um, you worked for a school newspaper, a satirical school newspaper. I don't know if it was a satirical newspaper. <laughs> it might have just been the school paper and he wrote like something like smarmy. I don't know. Um, I think what I was saying is like there's not been a ton of like scholarly writing on his work because it wasn't taken seriously for a long time. So I don't have a ton of details there, but there's there's been a fair amount that I was able to find. Um, so he was put on academic probation, which, uh oh, that's a bad thing because now it's the early 1940s. And if you're not in school, you're going to be drafted. You have to go to war. To war. war. You to, if you're not in school, you have to go to, to war. war. What is that from? It's from Lord of the Rings. No, it is not. <laughs> yeah, no, the ends that when they're going to war. Not when you're not in school, you have to go to war. That's just Becca said oh, it. He just says to war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said to war like an end. Oh, though. I was thinking of Theoden at the end where he's like, death. <laughs> Death. You could have just said that too. That's what happens when you drop out of Cornell. There's a lot of applicable Lord of the Rings quotes is what I'm hearing. Even to this day, you drop out of Cornell. Death. Yeah. So, But he didn't wait to be drafted. He went ahead and enlisted, but he was a lifelong staunch pacifist. But I think he was just like, let's, I know it's going to happen. So let's just get this over with. Get it over with. Oh, gosh. Or like maybe he was thinking like this could get worse and worse and worse and I'll just start now in case it becomes worse later. Um, but it couldn't really get much worse for him. Other than dying, he had about the worst possible experience of the war <laughs> um and this he lost all of his limbs well no not, and I his guess. eyeballs <laughs> and his okay, penis okay fine guys i guess he didn't have the worst possible <laughs> he came out he had everything oh, he had good. all of his body parts he had it all he had it all he had it all maybe <laughs> he was deeply traumatized and would be fucked up for the rest of his life and that would show in all of his work and his personality and everything he truly had it all he truly all his had limbs all. trauma ptsd i mean yeah, would he have, like, even been a good writer if he hadn't had all of that terrible Maybe trauma? Maybe he would have been a better writer. A totally different yeah, writer. <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> he would have been a happier person, for sure. Yep. Um, so anyway, so he enlists, and during training, he went home to visit his mom for Mother's Day, but unfortunately, his mom had died by suicide the night before. Ooh, she no. was never, yeah, never recovered from her... Losing the beer empire. ...depression, and yeah, and also I think, you know, possibly she was upset because her son was about to go to war and you know what happens when you drop out of cornell it's like instant death mm -hmm. so Ooh, yeah. um anyway so that happened so that sucks um and very traumatic obviously three months later he's sent to europe he fights in the battle of the bulge in december of 1944 oh, i remember the battle that is a very funny name i have to I say love that but name i know not funny you know in execution <laughs> <laughs> thank you rachel for clarifying that the the actual battle was not fun. But it should have been. I, to, I, the whole time, like, in my life, whenever I saw that, I always thought it was, like, referencing, like, diet culture or something. And I think it took me a long time. Sometimes they use that as, I like, know. as, like, a pun for diet. That's messed up. That's why I was so confused. They should not do that. Yeah. 
Anyway, I don't but... think they should have used that name for the battle, though. It lends itself to way it was too the many bulge. other things. <laughs> uh, there's like a better word than bulge, you know, <laughs> for the place where they were. <laughs> the way That's the what name it was, called. it was called, like that was the town. The town was named Bulge. I don't, I don't was it, it was a I town. Don't it was a t- I thought it was well, just a re- well, let's look it up because now we got to talk about history. Google the bulge. <laughs> <laughs> like, is it actually the name of the place? I thought it was just like the. It was like a shape of a bulge. I thought it was the territory like they, they were bulged over. together. <laughs> I don't okay. know. Uh, the bulge was the largest <laughs> and bloodiest single battle fought by the United States. Okay, let's find out what the bulge Why is. Why was it called that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's be- – okay, so maybe Becca's right. Uh, it was so-called <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> because the Germans created a, quote, bulge around the area of the Ardennes Forest in pushing through the American defensive line. Yeah. That's a terrible name. What? They created a bulge. A lot of other things create bulges. They should have thought of that first. <laughs> Why didn't they call it, like, the Battle of the Ardennes or something? Why does it have to be – The Battle of – The Battle of the shape of whatever the army was in. I know. Is the name of the what battle. What if they were in the shape of, like, a boob? They say <laughs> the, the boob battle. Battle, battle of <laughs> yeah, the that's boob. That's not a good name. Well, Becca was right. That is a stupid <laughs> name. <laughs> this whole time I thought it – I thought they had no other choice. I cut them too much slack. They didn't. They chose that. <laughs> That's crazy. And now they're kind of asking for all the jokes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Not to victim blame. Ooh. Yeah. So that was the third deadliest battle of the whole war um, and the deadliest Ooh. one fought by American troops. Um, shortly after this, he's unfortunately captured by Germans. This oh, is- but he was a Germanish guy. Yeah, but he was American. Did he like use his German abilities? So yes, actually, Did he spoke German, or only his parents spoke German. At least he wasn't Jewish. At least he wasn't. I don't Jewish. think it was a problem at that time. Oh wait, <laughs> well, no, this yeah. was the forties. This is World War Two. Of course, it's a problem. Totally. Yeah, that would have been a problem. <laughs> For some reason, I thought this was. I I have no idea why, but I thought it was World War One. Oh, Even because of the Taisho era. In, the Taisho era, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Towards no. the end of the Taisho era. <laughs> well, I said after World War One, there was anti-German sentiment, so the parents didn't right. teach the kids German, but he eventually picked up some German, or maybe he took it in school or something, because he wasn't taught it by his parents and he wasn't fluent. But this next couple of weeks or months of his life is basically all of what Slaughterhouse-Five is. Slaughterhouse-Five is, like, deeply autobiographical. So he You don't like to hear that. Yeah, unfortunately. He was marched on foot about 60 miles from where he was captured with all the other prisoners of war. Um, He went without food, water, or sleep for all of that 60-mile trek. Ooh, my three favorite things. Uh, Which had me thinking about, like, unfortunately, orcs. Yeah. (laughs) Like, the orcs just, like, running and running and running through the night. But they're they're men. (laughs) And they were already fighting in this deadly battle so they're exhausted oh no um they were forced onto a train car that had once held like cows steer what are those called cattle car cattle that's what i think i I wanted to say yeah steer once held steer oh yeah and so it was covered (laughs) in cow dung they put 60 men to a car not all of them could lay down at the same time half had to stand up while the other half slept so they took turns yeah they took turns but um it's kind of nice yeah i don't know (laughs) the rest of that doesn't sound nice um, the prison car he was on, this this nasty cow dung covered train, was mistakenly bombed by the Royal Air Force. Um, so about 150 people died. Uh, par- prisoners of war died. He he survived. Hmm. This is where it starts to feel like Candide. It's like just thing after thing after thing. And he was bombed or attacked by the Allied forces more oh, way no. more time. Like honestly, 
being with the Germans was not the worst part of this. Like, he he just kept getting attacked by, like, friendly fire. So the, the RAF mistakenly oh, no. bombed this car. He survived that. They went three full days after that without water. They got a little bit on Christmas Day. And then on New Year's Day, they arrive at a prisoner of war camp. And everybody went into these, like, scalding hot delousing showers, which apparently just the shock of going into that hot water killed plenty of the men because they oh, were already no! so weak. Yeah. This is not oh, a fun dear. part of his life. Um, but it's hugely no important for the novel. Yeah. So then after that, at this camp, he's put to work for two months in a hard labor camp in the city of Dresden. So Dresden was before this one of the most beautiful cities in Europe. It was called the Florence on the Elbe, like the most beautiful city in Germany. And it had so much great architecture. And it weirdly, like it didn't really have much of a war industry. So like they weren't like making ammunitions or like, you know, creating tanks or anything like that. They just had... Yeah. He was he was put to work in a in a factory that made um, syrup for pregnant women. What's that? To drink like, or to put on their bellies. Wait, and he was making syrup? He was making syrup for in the pregnant factory? women? Yeah, I forget what type. I could have written, I didn't write this down. Um, to apply or to consume? To consume. I think, it, I, think, I think it was malt syrup or something. It contained a lot of like calories and vitamins or something. So he was making that. Oh, okay. I don't, I'm not saying that's not hard labor, but I don't know what about it was, you know, um, it kind of just sounds it's like. It's heavy vats of syrup, Jackie. Maybe, yeah, carrying syrup Yeah, or vats. having to carry hot thing. I don't know. So, but he did that. Um, they got a pint of unseasoned potato soup and some black bread every day. And that was all they could eat. But he said Dresden was the most beautiful city he'd ever seen. And it was mostly just he like. He lived in Indianapolis, before. Come on, everybody's <laughs> shitting on it. <laughs> his, you know, if he has anyone to blame, it's his dad, apparently. For the city being ugly? For <laughs> for Dresden oh, right. being much more beautiful than Indianapolis. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, his dad could have done something about it. But so he said it was mostly like cigarette factories and clarinet factories. So I don't know if Theo was here, maybe he clarinet? could tell us. Clarinet? Yeah, was yeah. was Buffet Crampon in Dresden or I don't Squidward. know? Squidward. Squidward. That's what I think of when I hear the clarinet. Funny. I only think Jackie of Squidward. and I both think of Theo, and you think of Squidward. <laughs> same same thing, same difference. Theo um, is kind of like Squidward. I know. <laughs> All right, in that way, yes. So anyway, but like Rachel astutely guessed, Kurt, or I guess I'll just call him Vonnegut now because his dad's out of the picture. Um, Vonnegut, he mm. was uh, made like leader of the little prisoner of war group because he had like some German skills, but he lost that privilege because at one point he went up to his German captors and told them all of the terrible things he wanted to do to them after they were liberated by the Russians. So they, they beat him up and told him, you can't be the leader anymore. <laughs> Um, Good for him. Yeah. So, but because there weren't... So was he not a pacifist anymore? I think not against those particular guys. I think he would pretty much <laughs> okay. wanted to kill them. Um, well, I don't think you get to be a pacifist if you have like a, a couple people. It's like, yeah, everyone's a pacifist to a certain extent. There's some people everyone doesn't want to hurt, you know? Yeah. It's like how big of the group you don't want to hurt. There's some people everyone doesn't want to hurt. Well, yeah. I'm saying like everyone has people they don't want to hurt. Yeah. She's saying you can't say I'm a pacifist except for these guys because everybody, even very violent people, would still say, well, I don't want to hurt these guys. I don't want to hurt my mom, so I guess I'm a pacifist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> except for everyone else. That's your argument for everyone's a pacifist to an extent, not... No, she's saying he... No. no, the argument is he's not a pacifist anymore. No, I'm saying he's not a pacifist oh, anymore okay. because of that. By your logic, 
everyone's a pacifist is what becca's yeah. saying but she disagrees gotcha. with it i thought becca was saying even if you want to kill everyone in the world but your own mom you're still a pacifist <laughs> to an extent oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no i'm saying i think if you're a pacifist you really have to be against all forms of violence to everyone otherwise you're just a regular guy well i don't know what he told them i don't know what he told them he <laughs> wanted to do to them maybe he said like i want to serenade give you guys and, yeah give you a big smooch <laughs> They said, you're not the leader anymore. <laughs> Beat you up. Um, we only like a small smooch. Like they, killed, they killed a lot of his buddies. So um, because I, I think it's fine to not be a pacifist anymore. We're I agree. not criticizing him for that. Yeah, I'm not a pacifist. Ideologically, yeah. in general, he still hates war. He just also hates these guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, fine. but I feel like I'm anti-war, but I'm not a pacifist. So there you have that. Weird. I think you, the two can coexist. Okay. Becca is a schemer. We shouldn't let her, we shouldn't pay her to scheme. <laughs> um, Beware, yeah. Yeah. But be, so because Dresden didn't really have a huge war thing <laughs> going on and there were lots of prisoners of war in it, no one expected it to be bombed, but unfortunately it was. It was firebombed for 2 days, February 13th to February 15th, 1944. Hello, I am a bot created by Jackie to issue corrections in post-production when Jacob isn't available. Here, Jackie meant to say 1945, not 1944. Um, the RAF, well, actually, first the Americans firebombed it, carpet bombed it, followed by the RAF, which Ooh. is the British forces. On behalf of my countrymen, I apologize. Estimates of how many died um, really vary a lot. Kurt initially wrote that it was like 250,000 in 24 hours. Other estimates I've seen mm. are like 150,000. And then I saw something that was like, they way overestimated it. It was only like 25,000 people. Either way, shit ton of people died in Dresden. 90% of the city was totally destroyed. They bombed like the historic city center. So all that beautiful stuff, gone. Mm -hmm. Kurt survived by hiding in a slaughterhouse. Uh, slaughterhouse Fünfe, Slaughterhouse mm. 5, um, surrounded by animal corpses under the ground. And when he came out, finding oh, no. over 90% of the city gone, he was promptly put to work locating corpses, dragging them out of the rubble, and bringing them to funeral pyres while locals yelled at them and pelted them with rocks. So, mm. if he becomes a little bit of an asshole later in his life, you know, may maybe it's maybe it's all the trauma. Uh-oh. Oh, that's that's what it is. He becomes an asshole. So you're just trying to like Honestly, not that bad of one. Some seeds of compassion. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not that bad of one, honestly, all things considered. We'll see what he does. I'll be the judge of his assholery. <laughs> he just became like a kind of angry old man. <laughs> Do you think Charles Dickens is justified since he grew up like literally in jail as a child or no? I mean, Kurt Vonnegut was not as much of an asshole as Dickens. Yeah, he never cheated on his wife or anything. He did in fact cheat on his wife. Okay, okay, okay. So Kurt Vonnegut went through worse stuff and was less of an asshole. Oh, yeah. I would say so. Okay, then we'll see. We'll see. Well, it's also just that, and we'll talk about this towards the end of this episode, but, like, Kurt Vonnegut has this... He's been, like, venerated by, like, a lot of his fans as, like, the most kind, the most, like, supremely, just, like, everybody should be good to each other, humanist kind of guy. So then, like, the second he's, mm -hmm. like, kind of an asshole for one day, everybody's like, oh, my God, he wasn't actually a good guy. And it's like, eh, he had a lot going on. Okay. Yeah, so then the Russians, after, after the Americans and the British did this, then the Russians flew over and bombed some more, so 14 more prisoners of war died. On behalf of my countrymen, I apologize. He, this 
totally turns into Candide, like literally right at this point. So he and mm. eight other people stole some horses and a wagon and they looted their way. That was his words in a letter he wrote. Looted their way through northwestern Germany for eight days, living like kings. Ooh, good for them. Pretty close to Westphalia, which is where Candide was from. That was like a historical region of Germany. Nice. Yeah. So he's just going around. Life imitates art. Yeah. So the Russians pick them up uh, and carry them to France. And so he was recuperating there. He wrote a letter to his family just describing what had happened to him. So a lot of what I just talked about came directly from the letter. And he ended the letter, Once home, I'll be given 21 days recuperation at Atterbury, about $600 back pay, and, get this, 60 days, parentheses, six zero furlough. Mm. What does furlough mean? Oh, like he just gets paid for 60 days. Oh, it's like a vacation, like a temporary yeah. <laughs> vacation. For, for going through months of hard labor and like dragging out yeah. corpses and being bombed multiple times by his own or Like country. take the summer off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then you have to come back after 60 days. Yeah. Good for, yeah, that's pretty fun. That's like a little better than maternity leave sometimes. <laughs> yeah. No, maternity leave is terrible. Yeah. Real bad. In this country. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually non-existent pretty much in this country. So anyway, he comes home right. and he marries Jane, who's a girl he's known since kindergarten, which that's cute. That is cute. And he goes he goes to the University of Chicago um, on the GI Bill as an anthropology student. Hmm. Um, they had their first of their three children together, biological children. He... So he studied cultural anthropology, and he said in a like later on he would give a series of speeches much later in his life to like different graduating classes, and they ended up being like kind of like legendary speeches, like people still quote from them a lot. Mm-hmm. But he said the reason he picked cultural anthropology was because he couldn't do real science, like he obviously failed at biochem. <laughs> and then cultural anthropology was the quote most socially superior of the pseudosciences. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the pseudosciences. So he said, other than psychoanalysis. It's funny that he's a snob about it. Yeah. Even though he, like, isn't involved anymore. Well, he's, like, an ironic snob, Uh, right? Because he's kind of dunking on himself by saying that. Yeah, he's like, I'm already in the pseudosciences. Yeah. Hmm. But I'm going to be in the best one. (laughs) (laughs) The one that makes me sound the most legitimate to other people, yeah. So he he (laughs) couldn't do – he was like, well, other than psychoanalysis, anthropology is, like, the other one. So he did that. Um, but why didn't he do psychology? He didn't want to, had too much trauma. Psychoanalysis. Can you uh, imagine Kurt Vonnegut as a psychoanalyst after this? After you hear about him, no, no way. Not a good idea. Ugh. Anyway, so, but obviously he's incredibly traumatized. He was on the GI Bill. He wasn't paying for it. He didn't really care about the subject, as you can probably guess. So he wasn't really taken very seriously. Um, He was given a thesis. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm mentioning these parts because I just think they're funny. Um, He was given a thesis advisor who was, he referred to as Dr. Z. And he said, oh, you know, like there's a story about in certain restaurants like there's always like a person that they assign to take care of the tables when they want those tables never to come back like they give them the worst waiter Whoa. on purpose I, do you think that's happened to you before jackie yeah at the hot sauce place <laughs> yeah no um so he said oh the equivalent of that is they gave me dr z as my advisor because he had no social oh, skills gosh. and had crazy ideas so but he loved him He unfortunately did not graduate from the program because every thesis idea he came up with was rejected. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, So one of his ideas that he was that he wanted to write about the similarities between the ghost dance 
which is, I want to say, Native American dance. It wasn't just one tribe. It was like multiple tribes. Do you know about this, Rachel? I mean, I, I, I feel like I've probably read some articles that talk about it or something, but I'm yeah. not familiar enough to explain it confidently. I'm definitely not an expert, so I'll just tell what I was able to look up about it briefly, but it's like a dance that was supposed to like help connect with the spirits of dead ancestors, but also it was supposed to like stop westward expansion. Mm. He was comparing that to the cubist movement in art. Okay. And so they were like, nah, don't do that. <laughs> um, so cubist he, movement. I was ready to be on his side and he lost me. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. He he continued to write about it. He really cared about that for some reason. But um, he would finally receive his diploma 25 years later when he turned in one of his novels and they said, yeah, that sure, that counts. Just take that instead of your weird ghost dance thing. <laughs> so he dropped out of that. He went to work for GE as a technical writer. And then in 1952, when he's 30, he publishes his first novel, which is Player Piano. Hmm. He struggled for a while. He had three little kids. And so it would take seven years before his next novel came out, which was Sirens of Titan. That's your fave, That's Becca. My favorite. I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the year before that, in 1958, he had a sister that he loved a lot. Her name was Alice. She died of breast cancer only two days after her husband was killed in a train accident. Oh, no. So both. Yeah. So all the kids were orphaned. So she had four children and Kurt adopted them. So now he has Mm. seven children. (laughs) Um, The youngest of the Get to writing, buddy. Yeah, get to writing. That's pretty rare for a lot of our writers. Most of them, I feel like, don't have kids. They don't even take care of their own kids if they have one. Yeah, Yeah. right. (laughs) So he had three of his own, and then he adopted the four. But um, I think the youngest one was two, and the other ones were at least a few years older than that. So the youngest one eventually Mm -hmm. went to go live with someone else, which I'm like, yeah, six kids. Like, what's one more, you know, at that point? Yeah. Maybe someone really wanted the youngest, though. You know, or maybe that person had a baby that was the same age, and they were like, "Oh, they yeah. can." I'm, I'm kidding. I mean, like seven kids is a fuck ton of kids. So um, yeah, yeah. So that was nice of him. But so he a year later, Sirens of Titan come out. Critics weren't really sure what to think of it at the time, and according to the Wikipedia page for this, people apparently compared it to the Tales of Hoffman, which is an opera by Offenbach. Okay. Are you familiar with that at all, Rachel? No, but maybe Thea would be. I'm sure Thea would be. I'm just going to go ahead and say I looked this up because I was like, oh, okay, I I really like the Sirens of Titan and I'm I'm kind of familiar with this opera. I can't imagine how they could possibly be similar because one is about like space travel and the other is an opera (laughs) from like the 1800s. (laughs) It was not similar at all. The Tales of Hoffman is like a typical opera with like people falling in love with each other and then accidentally murdering people and then like misunderstandings happen and like somebody loves somebody else and then that person gets murdered. None of that happens in Sirens of Titan. none of that weird so very weird if you understand why those two things are similar please let me know maybe we can find a vonnegut scholar to come on and tell us we'll just ask them that one question and be like okay thanks bye in the cubism (laughs) thing i want them to explain the cubism ghost dance i don't know if anyone yeah i don't know if anyone can explain well hopefully he explained it so anyway so after that he kind of he picked things up so mother night came after that cat's cradle which was the first to receive any critical acclaim then followed and that was the one he turned into the school to get his cultural anthropology degree Hmm. god bless you mr rosewater came after that and in 1969 is when his masterpiece slaughterhouse five comes out um, which is, of course, verbatim named after 
the slaughterhouse that he had to stay in underneath the city of Dresden. Um, and he would eventually write eight more novels, bringing his total to 14, as well as a bunch of short stories and a play. We're going to talk about one of those short stories. I know Rachel's ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> should I read it or should I be surprised? Should you read the short story? Yeah. Should I just be surprised, though? Or should I read it? Because if it's short, I'll read it. Becca's saying if we do a whole episode on it, she'll read it. I don't know that, well, maybe one day, but I I was just figuring Rachel was going to want to talk about it as part of this episode. Well, we can save it. It could be be a good extra episode later. What's the name of it? It's called Harrison Bergeron. I did want to talk a tiny bit about it Mm -hmm. just because that's definitely You read it at Gramercy, Becca. Oh, then I probably did Harrison Bergeron. It's the one where there's a guy and he's so awesome. And they, they're like, we're going to make you less awesome. Mm. Do you remember? Maybe it, once I hear about it, it'll make a little more sense. And they're like, we're all communists and we have this son and he's like so tall and hot and he's like good at all the sports and he's so smart and they have to put on glasses to make his eyes worse and they yeah, like so, well, weigh his body down. I guess we'll just we talk about it read now. it at Gramercy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. No, no, no. Let's. Let's do its own episode. We have to do a whole episode. I know, about but this. I have it's to talk so about it nuts. because it's. But it's in, in regards to his political beliefs. Like he was a he was a socialist, like very strongly. And people always like many years post mortem after he died. I think it was like twelve years after that story won and a big award from like the Libertarian Futurist Society. But huh. so it's it, people say it's like oh a libertarian story, kind of like Ayn Rand. It's like oh well everybody has to be the same under this regime so if if some people have advantages we have to take those advantages away yeah that's definitely how it was taught at our middle school yeah they're very but i think that's a common misconception i i'm pretty sure he was satirizing like how badly people misunderstand socialism if you're if thinking, like that's you know he was a socialist so i don't think he would have okay. written that as a series i but, buy it let's but let's do its yeah. own episode maybe it can yeah. be a bonus maybe it's it'll be bad. its own thing yeah <laughs> we gotta delve into it we so. gotta we gotta delve it is crazy. So in 1971, him and Jane divorced because he was an atheist and Aww. she started becoming more and more Christian and it was a problem for them. And I guess she didn't want to whatever. So they they divorced, but it was amicable. They stayed friends for the rest of her life. He That's marries nice. his next wife, Jill, and they adopt a baby girl together. So now he once again has seven kids. He's addicted kids. to having kids. <laughs> He's like our grandpa. He's always- yeah. Right? Our grandpa was always, like, adopting kids and taking in kids and stuff. My mom said he was always collecting strays. Aww. Yeah. Animals and children. Yep. Did she ever end up with, like, a Heathcliff to her Kathy? No. I don't mm, I don't no. think so. Oh. I don't think he so He mostly, either. I feel like he col- he kind of collected her sister's. And then mm-hmm. I feel like His it wife's was... wife's at- children from yeah, previous yeah, yeah. relationships. Because they were, my grandma's kids at the time, they were like all scattered around the country living with different relatives and stuff. And so he kind of gathered them all up to live with their other siblings together on the farm. And then whenever they all left, he had like another little boy he was watching for a long time. Yeah, he was was super old. Yeah. And he had really bad PTSD too from the war. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So... Is it something about the war just making people want to, like, keep kids safe? I don't Maybe. know. Maybe some men, but I feel like not everyone is up to that. Hashtag not all men. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of men after the war, they become terrible to kids. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it worked for him and Kurt in that sense, yeah. I guess. Yeah, so I'm, I'm doing the math on this, and I think when he adopted that baby girl with her, that was in 1979, and so he would have been, like, 50 seven already with a baby um anyway but they did that and then he 
This is just like on a, a personal aside. He died in April 2007 at the age of 84. He fell and sustained head injuries. Mm. I read Slaughterhouse Five in April 2007, and I think he died like the next day or two days after. Mm-hmm. I read it all in one sitting. I read it in a hammock in my backyard. I remember it was a beautiful April day in North Carolina. I opened it. I couldn't put it down. I finished the whole thing. Cry, 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 cry. And then Carbonigate oh, died. That's interesting because we that means we'll be recording our episodes about the book around Ooh. or like releasing them close to when you read it, I guess. That happened another time with me too. I forget. I think it might have been J.D. Salinger. Like I read Catcher in the Rye and then he died. <laughs> but I might be misremembering. But so we had a joke for a while, me and my friend Philip, that I would like kill authors by reading them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, before his death, he, you know, he made it to the age of 84. He chain smoked like nobody's business. And he made a joke that he was going to threaten to sue Pall Mall cigarettes because they always promised to kill him and they never did it. <laughs> like I said, so he was a socialist. He was a humanist. He was uh, described by a lot of atheist. people as like definitely atheist. He, he referred to himself sometimes as a, quote, Christ-loving atheist or a Christ-loving agnostic. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. would occasionally go to like Unitarian churches, but he was definitely. Makes sense for a socialist to like Jesus. Yeah, it's just like I like oh, his yeah. teaching. Jesus was a socialist. Yeah. Yeah, at least. I feel like, uh, yeah, people tend to think of him as like this like edgy kind of like, oh, yeah, sticking it to the man, sticking it to religion kind of guy. But he didn't have a bad view of religion. He invented several religions, (laughs) the most famous of which is (laughs) Bokonism, which was from his novel Cat's Cradle. And there are people that actually practice that religion. But it's not. But he wasn't making fun of religion when he did that. He was actually in a way kind of making fun of systems that people classify themselves into that aren't religions. Um, So anyway. There's that. I think it'd be fun to do an episode on Bokanonism one time, like maybe as a bonus. Yeah, we'll keep the door open. Mm-hmm. If Bokanon shuts a door, he opens a window. Is that a thing people say? Oh, is say? that yeah, the I'm god? Sure. Bokanon is his I, name? He's the prophet, I think, or the guy who started. <laughs> okay. um, opening windows is his game. Yeah, op- <laughs> yeah my name is Bokanon and opening windows is my game. Oh, that didn't no, rhyme. Jackie, come on. Bokanon is my name and opening windows is my game. <laughs> You're like John Ralphio. <laughs> Who's John Ralphio? Is that from Master of Disguise? He's from Parks and Rec. He's this <laughs> character who he always comes up with raps and then he <laughs> mess like he takes he messes it up. Give us an example. He has one. So the character Leslie Nope, when he saw her, he goes, Leslie K to the N to the O P E. She's the dopest little shorty in all Pawnee, Indiana. <laughs> like that's what he does. <laughs> oh, it was almost so good. Yeah, Um, he does it all the time. (laughs) So there was a biography that was written about him. I think it was after his death. So although he was, like, described all the time as, like, the super kind guy, he always, like, wrote about the importance of, like, yeah, just be kind to one another. Like, war is terrible. But, okay, so two things. (laughs) There was an article I read called The Kindness of Kurt Vonnegut, and then there was another Uh one I read. Is it ironic? No, no, that one was oh, legitimate. Okay, it was just like, I met him as a young writer in the 90s, and he was really nice to me. Nice. But clearly a very sad man. <laughs> um, and then there's another one I read called Vonnegut's Dark, Sad, Cruel Side is Exposed or something. Oh, no. So someone wrote a biography of him, and it was, like, pretty focused on, like, the last few years of his life, which, like, I don't think he was like this the whole time. I think in the last few years of his life, he was, like, frustrated that he wasn't being taken seriously because everybody was just like, oh, sci-fi, whatever. He's a like, sci-fi writer. Yeah, like, not real literature. 
literature. Which it is, just yeah, as totally. much as literary fiction can be. Yeah, I mean, and I think also because he has kind of like a simplistic writing style, which I really liked and found really compelling. His style is not for everyone, and people didn't think it was like, I don't know, complex enough or fancy enough or something. So, but yeah, so he he was pretty depressed he was bitter he was lonely he could have an explosive temper apparently like he would blow up at people words used to describe him in those last few years by friends and family were apparently uh cruel nasty and scary <laughs> so he maybe had dementia maybe he just had dementia did Sometimes anyone look old into age that just gets you that's yeah. a good point becca that often is the case but i don't think he had dementia I okay he, i think he was just bitter or maybe yeah. it could have been like the first few, you know, signs because oftentimes dementia starts with behavior changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I I just feel like if you're that, if you were pretty good living a good life and then when you were in your 80s, you got mean, I'm like, eh, mm. I don't think that you can be defined by the last couple years of your life when like your brain is kind of given out from under you. That's true. And I don't know necessarily if we do find a Vonnegut scholar, we should ask them like, I don't know if this was like totally out of character or if he was just like better at keeping it under control before but yeah I, i'm sure age has something to do with it i think you're still a good person even if you have mean tendencies but you control them and you yeah. do good things instead you're a good person still in my opinion yeah. and i like and i, I think said, yeah I, he just lost control at the end because he's old <laughs> Yeah, and he's, like, coming to the end of his life, and he's seen all these horrible things, and he feels like his life work isn't respected. Of course, he's going to be, like, bitter and sad, but so he... <laughs> we respect you, Kurt. Oh, good. I'm glad. Right, Jackie? I, res I respect him, yeah. Um, but I think also, yeah, you can't put him on a pedestal. He wasn't a perfect guy. Just because he had nice messages in his books doesn't mean he was, like, 100% perfect all the time. Other criticisms of his work, particularly Slaughterhouse-Five, are that people thought he was being, like, blasé about the horrors of war. If you live through the horrors, you can be blasé about the horrors. Right. I Even agree. if that's not what he was doing, you can. Right. And, like, because of the fact that, like, his books are humorous and kind of, like, irreverent, people are like oh well he didn't care about this or something and it's like no he i think there was only one way he could like face those horrible things and part of that might just be through humor and also i feel like that's mm -hmm. an artistic choice to say like we can't possibly look this head on i don't know but one of the the things that his fans will say a lot is the phrase so it goes so that comes back over and over again throughout lots of his books and it happens specifically every time someone dies or multiple people die. He says, so it goes. So people take that and they're like, oh, so he doesn't care about death. Like, whatever. It just happens. Like, war is no big deal. That's totally the opposite. Like, he, he was staunchly mm -hmm. anti-war. So it goes is not meant to be like that. I think it, it's supposed to mean, like, the establishment treats life as cheap and sends little boys to war to do the work of men. So anyway, I think also just the fact that, you know, as we'll talk about in The Sirens of Titan, it's like a weird, crazy, like time warp kind of story with like these crazy aliens the opening line of the novel which i referenced earlier is all this happened more or less which mm -hmm. there's some questions that we can talk about about like did everything in this novel in the world of the novel actually happen or maybe was it imaginary more or less more or less so i think uh hopefully that is an intriguing end to talk about a really interesting book, which I can't wait to talk about. That you love very, very much. Yeah. That I do. I so do. we're not doing Slaughterhouse Five. We're doing Sirens. We are Titan. doing. No, we're doing Slaughterhouse <laughs> Five. I can love more than one book at a time, Becca. It's not like I yeah. have two lives going on simultaneously. I can only love one book mm -hmm. at a time. 
Really? I think that's true to the extent that the most recent, it's always going to be like the most recent book that I read and was into. That's, that's what's going to be on book. my mind until I pick another book and I'm like, ooh, now but I'm you, into this but one. If, but if I said like, oh, do you love Pride and Prejudice? You'd be like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if I said, do you love Lord of the Rings? You'd say, yeah. No, yeah, but she it's would not say, on my no, mind. I can only love one book at a time. <laughs> but it's like there's what's, only one book on my mind at a time. What's on your mind right now? Well, I just am almost done with Six of Crows, so now I'm all into that. So I'm just I'm oh. just saying I'm a wishy-washy girl, whatever I'm, I'm reading. I'm, I'm surprised into. you decided to read a book that has a adaptation, like a TV show adaptation. I thought normally I, you're like, I prefer TV. And no, then no, you no. Just read a different book. No, I prefer a book. I if it's a, a manga then I prefer if they don't have it in color. I if there's yeah. a color webcomic, I will read it. But if it's a manga and it's gonna be black and white, I will wait for the anime. Well you're gonna wait forever if it's a shoujo. Sorry. <laughs> I know. That's Jackie, what I've you been need doing. to learn some of this terminology now that there's Sorry. two of us on the pod. <laughs> uh I know some of the terminology. Like I know what a yaoi is. Whoa oh, but that's not for me though. <laughs> yeah, but I think I only know that because shock value from people in high school i don't know philip wow that's crazy oh, philip well shout out to philip hanitua and philip should get together and talk know, they're both fujoshis they're i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah. see i know that yeah hanitua she loves love between men we love love Definitely. in all its forms yeah but that's the form she loves it the most i like it when it's a good story so if it's a good story, I'm into it. It doesn't – I don't care if they're the men or they're not the men, you know, who Not just men, but the men. Yeah. But for Hanitua – For Hanitua, they are really the men, pref- yeah. She strongly prefers that it be men. That's too many – sometimes okay. it's too many men for me. I know we make a lot of jokes on this podcast about me always wanting to ship men, but, like, I'm not creepy. Oh, yeah. Hanitua I'm – not, I'm not creepy. For sure. You're saying yeah, Hanitua is creepy? Well – well, <laughs> maybe she doesn't show it to everyone. <laughs> How stronger love is for man love. I just, okay, I just want it. Sometimes I feel like, and this is completely whoever's making the shows and everything, this is completely their fault. I think that, for instance, me and Darius were watching Drumline and they make love that like the main character's love interest so Wait, uncompelling that I'm like. Is that an anime? Or are we talking about Drumline with Nick Cannon? No, no, no. No, it's, yeah, Nick okay. Cannon. I was Nick, say. So not, a, not an anime. I'm just saying, like, and I shipped Nick Cannon with his superior drumline guy because I was like, that would be such a great, like, enemies to rivals to lovers. Because the female love interest was uncompelling. It was uncompelling. I'm like, this isn't interesting at all. But if these two guys ended up... everything interesting in the movie is about drums. That's (laughs) why she shipped him with his superior drummer. Yeah, that makes sense. Drummer. I'm just saying the the tension, the sexual tension when they're having their little drum off, I'm like, yeah. Imagine if they both (laughs) threw their drumsticks down and just, like, passionately embraced, like... Damn, oh, Hanidua would, would really that, love yeah. that. I, I just, and it's a shame. I like Zoe Saldana, but they didn't make her character interesting at all. She was just like an older girl who like wasn't interested at first and then he won her over and I was like, boring. Boring. You know? Yeah, that's that's the part of the movie that's just catered to the male gaze, I think. Like, oh, if you get good at an instrument, the girl will like you. The male gaze? If they wanted to cater to the male gaze, they should have had him get with that guy. G-A-Z-E, Rachel. <laughs> I love Nick Cannon, but then he had, what, like 40 kids or something? So now he's kind of crazy. He's on his way. He's if on only his way. he had been gay, he wouldn't have had so many children, maybe. 
think about I, it. Yeah, I mean, he could have still, think but yeah, a little it. more unlikely. Let's see. How many kids does Nick Cannon have? Is it as many as Kurt Vonnegut? Currently? Definitely. I think it's like 14 right now. Currently? Did he lose some? No, he's, I mean, he did lose one, but he's also got a few more cooking right now. Okay. He usually has a couple cooking at once. I think I, I did know that. He's he kind of one. terrible. I think he said like he was taking a break and then like a month later, he's like, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> He's it's got, easy, like, for him, because he doesn't have to really cook them. He can just sow the seed and leave. He's got 12, not 40. But, okay, this is what I've said. He does not have enough money for these women to, like, be do like, for, for them to be doing this. It's not worth it. Like, you're going to share it. If he was, like, a Jeff Bezos or something, then I get yeah. it. You, you can have millions and millions of dollars <laughs> just to yourself. But it's Nick Cannon. So, yeah. <laughs> So it's like maybe you'll get 500K, maybe. That's not yeah. good enough for me. And we talked about how bad maternity leave is. Um, what's funny is like when you look up Nick Cannon kids, there's, you know, the Google suggestions for additional searches. And it's like Nick Cannon kids 2022, Nick Cannon kids 2023. <laughs> like people are having to add on years just to specify to, like yeah. at what point did he have this number of kids? Nick Cannon kids on the way. There needs to be a website that's like how many Tracking kids does him. Nick Cannon have and it tracks like how yeah. many and are then it shows in progress at too. the moment. Yeah. Yeah, like the right. Domino's pizza tracker thing where it's like, oh, we yeah. got one in the oven. <laughs> Nick Cannon kid tracker. <laughs> that's our million dollar idea. You can change different themes. Ooh, this is the Hawaiian Nick Cannon tracker. This is the Western yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. So that's been fire the cannon. <laughs> Oh, uh, Nick Cannon! How has he never come up? Before? We're firing him. No, I still love. Yeah, him. Yeah, I would fire him. I'm firing. What? Him. Did you see the the set of his jaw and the determination in Drumline? That's enough to make a woman fall in love forever. I would give him a kid. I'd give him number thirteen. No, <laughs> no. You realize you have to raise them. He does not raise those kids. He's not going to help you at all. Really? You're stuck with it. He all like by pops yourself. by for their birthday parties. Yeah, maybe that'd be a sick birthday party though. I'd tell people <laughs> this is Nick Cannon's thirteenth baby, and they'd be like, "Whatever, like you're just lying." And then birthday comes around, the baby here comes he is. out. Yeah. yeah. Well, somebody said that they the only good thing about having one of his babies is that you might get invited to like Mariah Carey's place for her kids birthdays yeah i love how you said like when the baby comes out people will realize that it's nick cannon's baby and i'm like i could have just had an affair with lots of people to produce a child that could look like my child and nick cannon's child honestly me and joshua's child might look a lot like nick cannon's child (laughs) i was assuming nick cannon would be like there for the birth maybe because it's obviously some kind of fetish on his part no there's no way i don't think he'd be there for the birth i wouldn't let him (laughs) okay but you'd let him i don't know you're wild let him impregnate you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then go to your house for your kid's birthday party, but you won't let him be present uh, for the birth. I wouldn't let him be present for the birth, but I also wouldn't let him impregnate me. Or so. the conception. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't let him be pregnant. I wouldn't let him be present for the conception. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is, that makes it way weirder. All right. Well, um, thanks everybody for being here. Um, You're welcome. Do we want to talk about anything else uh, about Kurt Vonnegut? Rachel, did you have any notes you wanted to say? No, I was just here to listen and learn. I thought I was going to have to hardcore convince you he wasn't really a libertarian. Ooh, I was ready. No, I've read other stuff. If I'd only read Harrison Bergeron, then yeah, you would. But I've read (laughs) other stuff from him. And I knew a little bit about his life. But um, I guess I'll just say, audience, uh, we're planning to do two episodes where we go through Slaughterhouse-Five. So if you are interested in reading along with us, we're going to start with the first half of the book in two weeks. So that's how long you have to get caught up. So hurry up, you guys. Uh, And this episode that you're currently listening to is coming out 
on this Thursday, which is March 30th. So in two weeks from yeah. March 30th. Cool. Yeah, mid-April-y. Mid-April-y. Um, Ooh, I do have one thing to say about Kurt Vonnegut. Just please. I'm thinking of the horror that I would feel if I wrote like an anti-capitalist short story. And libertarians liked it. That's <laughs> what I was going to say. You should put, <laughs> and the libertarians took it over. Yeah, no, you should like make a, a clause in Disclaimer. your will or something. Yeah, like if you ever write a story that has even the slightest potential of being misunderstood in that big of a way, say, do, do not give me <laughs> an award for this. From your yeah. organization. We will cover it. We will read this short story. This has been on my list of stories to do episodes on, like, from the beginning. Whoa. I had no idea. Whoa. So I'm pretty sure we talked about it because I, I think I said, like, every weird short story I read in middle school I would like to cover. I love the weird middle school short story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were great on um, Death of a Salesman. <laughs> oh, yeah, Death of a Salesman. By which I mean the most dangerous game. The most dangerous Also game. Edgar Allan Poe. Read a bunch of him, that weird yeah, guy. Yeah, we got to do some Poe. Um, I will say one last thing about Harrison Bergeron is that people have theorized that, like, it's a satire about how badly Americans generally misunderstand communism, socialism. Um, but he also himself, when asked about it, said, uh, I think it might have been, like, just an outpouring of all of my, like, high school angst for, like, not feeling like people realized how special I was or something. Because he was so, like, I'm so cool and hot and yeah. no one knows. <laughs> yeah, so even he kind of said, like, it may have had a little grain of, like, sincerity to it, but he doesn't really remember. And he, if it did have some sincerity to it, it was stupid. So. Yeah. So he well, just published it and he's like, here you go, guys. And then it, they went with it unfortunately or like the guy who wrote pinocchio was just like i don't i don't recall writing that <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> i didn't do that what was what was his name again carlo colodi carlo colodi yeah so we will we'll meet up soon and we'll talk about slaughterhouse five and then sometime after that the audience will hear it so all right guys thanks so much for joining us Hopefully you learned something fun or terrible today and we will see you next time. I was going to say, <laughs> should we put a content warning being like, oh. Uh, we talk about the horrors of war. <laughs> yep. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I think content warning for the horrors of war, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard I, to say horrors of horrors war. Horrors of war. That's like a tongue twister. Yeah, it's like the yeah. rural juror. Oh, yeah, that's hard. That was one of my favorite 30 Rock gags. Um, I, I am interested after we talk about Slaughterhouse-Five or in the midst of us talking about it, what you guys think about like, I don't know, is it like ignoring the horrors of the Holocaust too much or? If it's about his experience, then the I war. don't, I don't think every yeah. book set in World War II has to be about the Holocaust specifically. Yeah. I Because I think people do criticize it for that reason. It's like, oh, well, like. <laughs> but it's like war is still horrible that doesn't it doesn't mean that like we shouldn't have tried to end the holocaust but america came in way too late anyway we'll just talk about that another time mm. well yeah bummer uh thanks for listening to us if you want to check us out on social media our instagram tiktok and twitter are all at fire the cannon pod as becca so helpfully specified cannon is spelled c-a-n-o-n um, unlike nick cannon unlike yeah. nick cannon um who i think should should do a guest episode with us um, and should be uh, fired you do not have to have a child with me. In fact, it's virtually impossible. So 
I don't know. Maybe he's like so fertile it could work. <laughs> he probably is very fer- fertile. That's what I'm getting from his antics. Yeah, from his <laughs> antics. You hope he's super fertile or like how does he have mm. the time? Oh, that – yeah, because that would imply – wow. Okay. Um, anyway, yeah. <clears throat> if you want to email us, it's firethecanonpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a message through our website, which is firethecanonpod.com. You can also send it to firethecanonpodcast or go to www.firethecanonpodcast.com. Either way email website it's all going to redirect to the same thing um you can also go to facebook and check us out um on our um, official page which is fire the cannon podcast and um if you would like to support us please support us it means so much to us but i'm not going to beg i'm better than that um i'll just let you know that you're supporting us just by listening to this and uh if you want to support us monetarily you can go to patreon.com slash fire the cannon we have um levels that will get you different bonuses but for as little as three dollars a month you get access to all of our bonus episodes all of our backlog um for five dollars a month you get a sticker there's some other fun stuff if you want to go all the way up to king patron level you can make us read any book of your choice and mm-hmm. we have to talk about it. Um, we've done oh it one God, time. Oh my God, that'd be crazy. Yeah. What was the book? I think maybe it was three um, episodes on the Confederacy, a Confederacy, Confederacy of Dunces. Thank you, Tristan, for having us do that. It was actually, it was an enjoyable series. I'm glad that he made us read it because I would not have read it otherwise probably. Or I, it would have taken a long time to get to. Yeah. My, my friend Michael texted me recently and said, what if I signed up for that level and I made you guys read a Chuck Tingle book? And I said, Michael- yeah. I have been waiting for you to say that for years. Like, I'm honestly shocked. Like, I kind of, we made this tier almost with you in mind. Like, I cannot believe you (laughs) haven't said for us to do that yet. And he was like, oh, well, I would pick a safe for work one. I'm like, are there safe for work Chuck Tingle books? (laughs) We'll find out when Michael supports us. Come on, Michael. Support us, Michael. Yeah, we're taking the bait. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. Hope you have a good week. Mm -hmm. We'll come at you in a couple more weeks. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, bye. (laughs) Should we say Auf Wiedersehen or should we not give the Germans the satisfaction? Out of respect for Kurt, let's not speak German. I agree. All right. Goodbye. Wait, we should say sayonara because of the Taisho era. Oh, the Taisho era. Okay, (laughs) sayonara. (laughs) Wait, sayonara is Japanese? Yeah. Yeah. I always thought it was Spanish. What? Wait. Wait. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> you I thought always thought sayonara. it was like sayonara, ombre, or something. <laughs> sayonara, ombre. <laughs> I had no idea it was Japanese. Wait, didn't you study Spanish? Yeah. And sayonara never came up, and you were like, well, it's because everyone already knows it. <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of figured it was like slang. Oh, <laughs> no, it's Japanese. <laughs> okay. Wow. wow, that was that was crazy. I've <laughs> never job saying I, that. Becca. I've watched plenty of animes. And I've never heard anyone say sayonara. They've you said it. listening. <laughs> yeah, they definitely for say sayonara. It. They definitely say it. They don't say it the way we say it. They say like sayonara, but oh, they definitely okay. say they it. don't say sayonara. Sayonara. Why, why they don't say, say sayonara, hombre. <laughs> They don't say that. You're the one who says it with a southern accent. I don't know. Like, that's not a thing. <sighs> it doesn't... I feel like in a Christmas okay. story, is Ralphie is fantasizing tacky. about shooting those guys with his Red Rider BB gun, and he says, sayonara, Bert, or something. But that doesn't make it Spanish. Ralph actually says, A-D-O's, Bart. Not sayonara, Bert. 
That's true. <laughs> no, was Japanese. How would he know that? <laughs> anyway, now that you've learned, so we learned a little something, and you learned a little something, and I learned okay. a lot of something. Let's all say sayonara. Okay. No, they were on the Axis powers. We're not doing that either. <laughs> okay, I guess we can't say sayonara. Okay, let's say arrivederci. No, we can't do that either. Okay, let's say das vidanya. <laughs> yeah, in honor of the okay. Russians who saved Kurt Vonnegut. Das vidanya. Das vidanya. I can't believe you tried to make us say sayonara on it. <laughs> well, I was thinking about the Taisho era. Yeah, he was born in the Taisho era. That was crazy.